I'm Kimberly Amici. Welcome to the Build Your Best Family podcast. This is a practical show to help you imagine, plan, and build your best family. We believe that the secret to having a happy family is not being perfect, but having purpose. Each week, I'll be sharing with you lessons I've learned and conversations I've had that will help you become who you want to be together. Today, I'm talking about what worked and what didn't work in 2020 for us as a family. This is the third year in a row that I am doing an episode on this topic. For me, it's just a fun and easy way to kick off the new year with you guys, but it's also an incredible opportunity for me to reflect and improve the things that we're doing in our family. 2020 was a unique year, to say the least, but don't worry, I'm not going to spend the next 20 minutes or so rehashing what a crazy year it's been. Nobody needs that. Nobody wants that. There's plenty of other people doing that. I'm going to share how our family responded to those changes that we've experienced and how it impacted our culture and what we learned from it all. I typically do this exercise as a part of my goal setting process. It's an easy way to onboard into assessing where we are as a family and then setting up some things in place so that we can change and realign with what our values are and who we want to become together. It gives me clarity and it helps me not to feel so overwhelmed about that goal setting process. It helps me to set my sights on the upcoming year with a lot less dread and with a little bit more enthusiasm because I like to make it fun. This is actually an exercise that can be done at any time of the year. It can be done in the middle of the year or after the summer. In fact, it can be done in any season that you come to the end of that you would benefit from reflecting upon. When we ask ourselves the question of what worked and what didn't work as a family, we're able to assess where we're at. We're able to identify the areas that we're had success in, and we're also able to acknowledge the places where we tried something, but it didn't work out the way we planned or the places where inaction prevented us from seeing the results that we wanted. Here's why all this helps us. It allows us to celebrate the success we've had. Our memory can trick us, and sometimes, especially with a year like 2020, we can look back at it and just say, oh, it was a disaster. But when we take the time to go through this process, we actually will find ourselves remembering things that were pretty good about it. This process also enables us to mourn our losses. It is so healthy to make space for the things that we've had to let go of. I know that when I push through and I try to get past it and don't make space for that grief, it catches up with me. And then finally I have a meltdown. And to be honest, nobody wants to be around for that. This process also helps us learn lessons from us all. It's okay to admit that something didn't work for whatever reason it might be. Maybe we didn't tackle it correctly, or maybe it just wasn't a fit for us as a family. And that is just important to count our successes as it is to count those things that weren't a success so that we can learn from them, maybe tackle them differently or find something else that suits us better. I think this is a fantastic activity to do with your kids. I did it with my kids. We do it actually pretty often. Whenever somebody has a birthday in our family, one of the things that we do as a tradition is to ask questions of the birthday person. And the big question, the easy question that gets asked is, what was your favorite things from this year? What worked well and what didn't work well? We did it recently for my birthday because my birthday is in December, which means my reflection for the past year often looks like a new year roundup. 
The things that my kids talked about were the travel that we did. We didn't do a lot of far travel, but we did a lot of local travel. One of the trips we took was to visit friends upstate New York, not far from here. However, where we were was secluded and there was no cell service. And the fact that the kids said, oh, remember that? We had no cell service. So we stayed off our phone and we really had fun. Was eye-opening, was enlightening to hear them say that. Our favorite things were also the game nights, regular walks we took together, and the new foods we ate together. What I love about conversations is that they help to inform what our non-negotiables will be going forward. From there, we can create new rhythms and habits. As we continually take small steps over time, it will drive and nurture the culture that we want to create in our homes. So here's what worked for me in 2020. Number one was the routines. After the pandemic hit and we knew we were going to be out of school for longer than two weeks, which is what they had initially told us, we knew that we had to have some normalcy, something in place that allowed us to know exactly what we were going to do and what our day was going to look like when we woke up each morning. As you can imagine, the first two weeks, it was kind of fun. It was kind of like an extended snow day. Our schedule was upset (laughs) to say the least. We didn't have anything on our calendar that was actually going to take place. So we spent a lot of time together as a family. We spent a lot of things just winging it. And then eventually we realized that if we were going to make it through this, we needed to have some routines in place. Routines created sanity in our home. Routines helped my kids feel secure, knowing that they could expect something in particular every day. Because once we took school out of the equation and sports out of the equation, we needed to have something that grounded our day. And routines was what what helped us. Now, the routines were definitely different than it was when we were full-time in school doing all the things in person. We were able to add to those routines dinner with the entire family, which we weren't previously able to do because my husband worked outside the home and his commuting hours didn't always allow him to eat dinner with us. We began reading together a couple days a week. We became a little bit more strict about their responsibilities and their chores because they had so much free time that there were no excuses for them to not do the things that we wanted them to do around the house. It was an opportunity to teach them habits and responsibilities. Those routines also helped us to create times when we knew we were going to be spending time together and knew when we would have time on our own. It helped create expectations that I think just made everyone feel grounded. Number two, what worked for our family was making family fun a non-negotiable, which is just a nice way of saying that we forced our kids to have fun with us. <laughs> we said, here's the things that we're going to do. And you kind of don't have a choice in anymore because we knew that having fun together and connecting with one another was going to be super duper important if we were going to be spending so much time under the same roof. So we did some local travel together. We did a pretty consistent game night. We made family dinners, like I mentioned before, a priority. We ordered in and sometimes we would go out once the restaurants went back open, but we didn't allow our kids to grumble and complain. 
I mean, they did, but we didn't allow that to determine whether or not we were actually going to take action on things because we knew that once we they got to where we were going, figuratively and literally, that they would enjoy themselves and it wouldn't be such a big deal. And that is indeed exactly what happened. Saying no, sorry, this is what we're doing as a family. We're watching a family movie. You have plenty of time to go in your room, be on your phone, do the other things, but this is what we're doing now. Once we made fun a priority and and really forced them to do it, we quickly saw their attitudes about it change and it's really become something that they look forward to. I would say the third thing that was really helpful and really worked for us was doing family projects together. This year we renovated my son's room. He had kind of a little boy's room and had decided he wanted more big boy colors and furnishings and that was a project that we had been putting off until we could have a painter come back in our house to do it and it it just wasn't happening. <laughs> it just wasn't happening as fast as we thought it was. And so I said, why don't we tackle that project on our own? And I think we were a little bit hesitant to do it in the beginning, but me and the three kids, we were able to do it. We moved the furniture, we picked the paint colors, we um, primed the walls, we took pictures and nails out and spackles. And we did all the things we did a little bit every day. And it was such a great opportunity for us to see how we could work together. I feel like some of the things that we were doing beforehand, before March was preventing us from doing these bigger projects together. And I was really excited to get this done. And I think the kids had a lot of pride in the work that they did and their participation in it. They were able to say, Oh my gosh, look what we did cleaning out closets together. I know that doesn't sound fun, but that's just an an example of another project that we did that was so gratifying to be able to do. And we made it fun. Everybody chipped in. We knew what it was like to work together. And so those things for me worked this year. It was just really a plus because it was building character and it was indeed creating the culture that I had always wanted in my home, but we just didn't have time to have. And so there, I can definitely sense teamwork with my kids more so than I ever have before. And the last one, number four, the thing that I would say worked well for me in 21 was talking to someone about the hard things. I don't know what I would have done without this. Number one, I did talk to my kids about the hard things, the hard things we were facing, just being honest with them about how I was feeling about what was going on. I mean, I think that the kids were super resilient and continue to be super resilient, but I had to learn to not be afraid of saying, hey, I'm really having a hard time with this. I miss my friends. I'm struggling. I wish I could do those things, but I can't do those things. So how do we make the most of it? Being honest with them and not just being the go, 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 let's make the most of it, but really explaining them the feelings that I'm feeling, how I'm coping with it, and then just allowing them to see, you know, the humanity side of me and my husband as parents. I also created a close group of friends, women that I was already friends with, but we got together and did a Voxer group so that we could pray together. So we have this circle of women that get on, talk about the issues that they're struggling with, and then we pray out loud with one another. There are some days where we don't hear from one another, but then there's some days where we hear for three or four of us. And it's just been a fantastic place to get on there and vent and 
you know, be frustrated and say, hey, this isn't going well, or hey, this is fantastic. This is going really well. Thanks for your support. And not only did I share my feelings with kids and close friends, but I actually enlisted the help of a therapist this year, which was absolutely fantastic. Thankfully, because of the pandemic, our insurance company extended benefits to cover this type of service. And so I want to encourage you, if you guys need someone to talk to, definitely check out this avenue. I had no idea that these benefits were available to me until I had the courage to actually ask, make the phone calls and just do it. I didn't really have a major issue that I needed to talk to somebody about, but there was just lots of little issues, just this underlying current of uncertainty was just wearing on me. And to be able to talk about that with someone, whether it was my kids, they weren't, obviously they are not my main source of counsel, but to be able to talk about it with my kids, to be able to talk about it and pray about it with close friends, and then to be able to have a professional to talk to about it has been so beneficial. And that is something that I think no matter what season we find our in is important to have. Now let's talk about what didn't work. So as I was typing, I think this list became a lot longer than I thought it would be. But again, never fear. This isn't meant to be something that is a condemnation to point fingers, to make me feel shame or to make you feel shame when you go through this process. It's just an opportunity to say, hey, this didn't work. And then I'm able to go back and say, well, what didn't work about this? Is this because I didn't tackle this this properly or because this just wasn't a fit for my family or maybe this just wasn't a fit for right now? Okay, one thing, number one, that didn't work was losing sight of our non-negotiables. Now, we did a pretty good job of sticking to our routine, but this not sticking to my non-negotiables, I've experienced this, not just in a pandemic, but anytime when things get off course and I start to wonder, what the heck am I even doing? Why does this even matter? I typically can go back to my calendar, go back to my non-negotiables and realize that those non-negotiables are not showing up in my life. I did a podcast recently about what non-negotiables are and how to come up with your own for your family to build your culture. I took a deep dive into that so I can reference that in the show notes if you'd like to hear more about it. But they're basically the things that I have committed to doing daily, weekly, and monthly to create the culture of my home. And so for us, we we got off track. We we had a month where we didn't do family business, but then there was also, I could see this agitation of the kids not knowing what was going on, not having clear communication of expectations. And so oftentimes in different areas of our life, we let go of some of our non-negotiables. We were on a really great pattern of having one-to-one lunches, me with each of my children before the pandemic. Well, we couldn't go out to lunch anymore. So what did that look like? So I had to be just as intentional about taking a walk with one of them or making a picnic lunch or finding ways to do that thing with my children. But in the beginning, I didn't make that connection. I didn't realize that the absence of that would be 
there, that it would matter because we were all spending so much time together. But really those one-on-one lunches are super important. That one-on-one time with each of my kids was really important. And so I let that slip. Like I mentioned, we let family meetings slip. We let reading together slip because I felt like, again, we're together so much. Do we have to do one more thing together? But intentional activities that we're doing with our children, especially during a time like this, actually build structure and framework to your day. I think this is something that is fantastic to just revisit monthly. When you look at your monthly calendar, quarterly calendar, are you doing those things that you say important that are important to you on a regular basis? Number two, what didn't work was not having something to look forward to. I am just one of those people that needs to be excited about something. When I don't have something to look forward to, I have this survival mentality. I just go with the flow. There's nothing wrong with going with the flow. I'd like to think that I'm able to do that well. However, if I have something on the calendar that's going to happen over the weekend, that's going to happen next week, it makes me feel good. That's just something that bridges the gap and helps me to handle the mundane with grace. And I've had to learn that it is, it doesn't matter how big or small is, it is having that something on the calendar is like setting your intention. It's giving you something to focus on, to look forward to. And that was much needed. And I'm learning to do that. I'm learning to look at the calendar. I'm learning to say, okay, we don't have anything on the calendar for this week. What is it that we can do together and try to come up with creative projects, activities, even if it's picking, you know, a movie and saying, we're going to do a family movie night. It can be Zoom calls with family. It can be local trips. There's still, even with all of the restrictions, there's still so many things that we could do if we were to be creative, do a little research. The excitement that we created about having things to look forward to really made a difference in the morale overall as a family. Number three that didn't work for us this year was, I don't think that, I think I need a better phrase for this, but leading separate lives. There were definitely times when even though we were all together, we would go to our separate corners. And if we weren't careful, if we weren't intentional about bringing everybody together, we could get lost in our own space, doing our own thing. Super easy for my husband to get lost in work. There's no more clocking out. There's no more driving home and having a commute. So it's really easy for work to bleed into the evening hours. Same thing for me. I'm working on, you know, coaching and podcasting and creating content. And it's very easy if my children are satisfied, if they aren't asking for something for me to keep working to the point when it's been like three days and I haven't had a conversation with my teenager. And so that really wasn't working for us. And when we started to identify that we were, yes, indeed, under the same roof roof and together a lot, we weren't necessarily connecting. So I definitely learned that I needed to be more intentional about engaging with my kids, making contact with them, looking them in the eye, asking them questions that just go beyond how you doing and how is school. And then, and then explain to my kids why it's important, why it's, why it's important to me, especially as an extrovert, but why it's important to our family for us to continually connect to one another and not just be so satisfied to be on our devices, to be filling up with things that just keep us busy and distract us. And number four that didn't work for us was throwing all the rules out the window. (laughs) Now I mentioned this earlier and I know that a lot of us did that and that is okay. We definitely enjoyed the times when we were just like, ah, 
there's no place we have to be. What can we do? We did a lot of binge watching TV. We did a lot of eating whatever we wanted, whenever we wanted. And to be honest, we still do a little bit of that every now and then. We loosened up a lot on the language for us having teens in our homes, having so much time with them. I think their filters came off. And in the beginning, I was very cautious. I didn't want to shut them down every time that they said something because I was just in this stage of learning who they were and maybe seeing what they what happened when they got silly or even when they, they kind of argued with one another. But eventually I had to put the kibosh in that and say, there's a difference between me micromanaging everything you do because you're going to do things and being on top of you and holding you to a standard that we believe is right for our family and for our culture. And so we really pulled back the reins on just saying whatever you wanted to say, whenever you wanted to say it. I think it was just what happened as a product of being together all the time with one another, without interaction with a lot of other people. We, I heard this a long time ago. And for me, this sums up what I mean about, you know, throwing all the rules out the window. It can be fun. And it is something that we will do. I don't have a problem sitting on the couch and binge watching The Crown with my kids, but we can't do it all the time. And so the example that I've heard is when you liken it to eating too much, eating too much of our favorite, favorite comfort food. It tastes great and so good. And we fill up on it and we find out a little bit later that maybe it wasn't such a good idea, that our stomach hurts, that maybe we shouldn't have done that. So again, this is for us, it was... We had just let it gone too far and we had to put boundaries back into place. So here's what I learned over the last year. As I was writing this list, I was able to pull things out. I was able to identify some wisdom, some golden nuggets that'll help me go forward in 2020. What I learned that family is everything. This is something that I remember my mom telling me when I was growing up. You know, she would tell me your friends are not forever, but your family is. And that would typically be times when I wasn't getting along with my brother or was choosing my friends over family. And I would laugh and I'd be like, ha ha, my friends are going to be forever. (laughs) And I do still have some friends that are from that time in my life. However, family is everything. And when you find yourself isolated, like we, so many of us have been, when our opportunities for to spend time with friends have been stripped away what you have is the relationships that are under your roof and so this time that we spent together was a quick indication of whether or not our relationships were strong or whether or not they needed work and I believe for us as a family our family is not perfect nor are our relationships perfect but we were able to see identify where we needed to make some changes. And I really believe that our relationships have become a lot stronger because of it. I see that my kids have gotten closer. I've gotten closer with my kids. I've just be, I've just been able to see so much of their personality, see the way they react when things are well, see the way they react when they're under stress, and just be able to have more time to coach them and talk to them and draw things out of them that I haven't been before. And I think that's been really good for us. All this quality time together has definitely helped us to see the good, the bad, and the ugly (laughs) that we all have. But then it also gives me the tools I need to redirect and to coach my kids back to what our standards and our values are as a family. Another thing that I have learned, it's a lesson that I wish was not the case, however it is in my home, is that I have got to drive the bus. I've talked about this before in another episode. I believe it was called 
you alone can change your family's culture. And it's this idea that there are so many things as a mom or as a parent that you can do in your home to drive your family's culture. You don't need everybody to get on board or to drive that bus. You can do it. You can make choices. You can make decisions. You can implement processes that will change your home. And so now more than ever, I've realized that I have got to drive the bus. I was hoping that others would help me with certain things. Like for example, we love to create these holiday games and I was really hoping my kids would help me more and they just didn't. If I sat down to work on it, eventually they'd come over and help me, but I had to stop waiting for buy-in. The lunch dates that I mentioned earlier that I take with my kids, they are happy to go to lunch. However, I would typically have to initiate it. I would typically have to remind them this is something that's important to us. I never got a no, but I also wasn't getting them saying, hey, mom, pull out your calendar. When do you want to go to lunch? Even devotion time with my husband, we started a new devotion. And as long as I grabbed him, set time aside, went to find him, we would do the devotion together. But I couldn't wait for him to do it with me because he just wasn't, that wasn't happening, right? So, and that's okay. But I've got to figure out what it is important to me, what is so important to me that I'm willing to do the work to make it happen, and I just need to make it happen. I need to take the initiative. I definitely wish others would sometimes, but they're not. So in this particular season, I am choosing to make what's important to me happen. This podcast episode is not about telling you what my family does that your family should be doing. That's not the way this works. That's not the way family culture works. What works for you as a family doesn't necessarily work for others. And what doesn't work for my family might be a home run for you. And that's okay. When we take time to figure out what works, what doesn't work for our family, and then translate those into lessons learned and even non-negotiables going forward, it is what will give you the confidence to be the family that you are meant to be, to stop having the need for others to affirm what it is you're doing, but it also gives you the freedom to stop judging others for the choices that they make for their family. In closing this episode, I just want to encourage you that if you haven't already, take a look back at 2020 and identify the things that worked for you and the things that didn't work for you. Consider what you can duplicate and what you can do differently in your family this upcoming year. To make this process easier for you, I've created a resource that is free to download that will help you walk through this. You can do it on your own or with a partner. You can find the link to it in the show notes, plus it'll be featured in this week's newsletter. I'd love for us to celebrate our wins together. What went really well for you this past year? We can chat about it on Instagram or in the Build Your Best Family Facebook group. If you want to dig deeper into what we've talked about on the podcast each week, check out the Build Your Best Family Facebook group. It's where we hang out with some fabulous women to practice what we've learned. There's also encouragement, group coaching, and incredible resources there too. Remember, family culture is not about perfect, it's about purpose.